0: He's best known for playing Dwight on NBC's Emmy-winning *The Office*. He has also acted in *Super*, Hesher, *Juno*, *Monsters vs. Aliens*, and *The Rocker*. I'm sure he's been in an ABBA cover band. He's done a whole bunch of things. Really, he's co-founded uh, *Soul Pancake*, a media company that seeks to tackle life's big questions. He's a board member of Mona Foundation and co-founded. Is it Lee Day*? Is that how you say it? Day,
1: hey, perfectly said
0: says the Canadian guy, uh, an educational initiative in rural Haiti that empowers young at-risk women through the arts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bobby Fisher of nerdity, or as his mommy wanted to call him, Thucydides. I've never, uh, I didn't like...
1: Thucydides you in uh, your DJ, DJ school and your doctorate in DJology?
0: Yes. Yeah, that was something that came out in the Greek side of DJing. Uh-huh. I hope things are well in your life. You're still in the Agora Hills area near Bell Canyon? Yeah, I am. You know this area? A little bit. Yeah, I go to the Calabasas Market as much as possible.
1: Nice. Yeah, I'm right uh, right by there. It's uh, it's a nice area.
0: Well, I want to apologize for uh, Mr. Bieber being in your neighborhood.
1: Yeah. You know, Calabasas is not a place that people in Agora Hills visit very much. It's uh, home of the Biebers and the Kardashians <laughs> and um, a lot of kind of materialist insanity. So, um, we, we don't we don't venture over there so much.
0: But the market is nice. The market's amazing. Market's beautiful. Yeah, be really beautiful. Yeah. Born in Seattle, Washington, sixty six means you are a what? And I'm not I'm talking star sign. Yeah, I'm a
1: human being. I'm yeah. an Aquarius.
0: <laughs> but what is that like? What impact does that have on you? Being a sixty six Seattle, Washington. I mean, you look. Your parents were crazy Bohemians, right? Living on a houseboat in Seattle in the late '60s. True story.
1: That's exactly true. Yes, right. it is. Yeah, it's uh, it's affected me a lot. I think, you know, I grew up in this kind of little bit in bohemian counterculture. Um, my dad was a uh, painted abstract oil paintings and wrote science fiction novels, worked at a bookstore. My mom did experimental plays in in Seattle theater. We were uh, they were members of the Baha'i faith. So there's a lot of really eclectic. Um, spirituality and artistic discussions and things happening, happening, and that I grew up in that milieu, and that's kind of shaped me in a lot of different ways.
0: So, aside from you driving a moving van in New York City when you weren't really earning much uh, at all as an actor, uh, uh, yep. did anybody in your family have a real job?
1: <laughs> yeah, my dad uh, decided that he really needed to make a real living, so he uh, became a sewer man.
0: I- I'm sorry, a what? A sewer
1: man, right. He worked in a sewer repair uh, company, so um, he was mostly in the office. He dispatched the sewer trucks and did the invoices and managed the office. But uh, sometimes he had to go, like, unplug, uh, use the snake to unplug some toilets.
0: <laughs> Roto Rooter, that's the name. I learned that from Cheech Chan. They,
1: they were. It was Jim Dandy Sewer in Seattle, and their biggest competitor was Roto Rooter, oh. and they always oh, they hated Roto Rooter and how terrible they did at uh, roto-rooting, and um, it was a big competition. And But you, my grandpa started Jim Downey. If you had talked to him about roto-rooter, he would just get red in the face and start spitting.
0: <laughs> okay. So what fantasy and sci-fi books did you read while you were not doing any outdoor or athletic-type activities in Seattle, Washington?
1: Yeah, I was much more of the indoor type and uh, working on my, my pale getting my pail on and, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I started out with comic books when I was a kid. I loved fantastic four and the Hulk and Spider-Man and Superman. And, and then, um, then when I was about 11 or 12 years old, I discovered the world of science fiction and fantasy and, and I just dove in head first. I just read all the time. I had hundreds of books. I still have most of the books that I had when I was a teenager. Um, I read all. I read everything. I read, you know, science fiction, hard science fiction, like Isaac Asimov, to Conan the Barbarian, um, Edgar Rice Burroughs, um, Michael Moorcock, Jack Vance, um, Robert Henlon, uh, Just a lot of great, uh, a lot of great writers. It was a very fertile breeding ground for the old imagination.
0: I'm surprised you didn't become a Scientologist then.
1: <laughs> that would have been a that would have been a better transition. Yeah. <laughs> aliens in the bloodstream and volcanoes yeah. and stuff like that yeah
0: so around 16 you started acting to meet chicks and then you uh, you began picking raspberries for a buck 15 a flat to meet chicks and then you counted cars in the carpool lane for the department of urban studies to meet chicks how do you know all this about me stalker <laughs> and now your son walter is what 10 11 he's 10 years old yeah so what dating advice are you going to give him
1: what, dating advice, yeah, uh, like
0: maybe watch a lot of Jean Claude Van Damme films.
1: Dating is so scary these days because people don't really date, it's just hookups and uh, uh, multiple partners, and you just kind of dudes kind of all my friends from New York like they just quote unquote like date till they're like in their 40s and then they decide to settle down. I don't know, it's um. What dating advice would I give? I think that you know the important thing about dating is uh, is intimacy. I think you learn a lot by being intimate with someone. And I've been with my wife for we've been married for almost twenty years um, together, almost twenty five. And um, you know, it's a real test. It's a struggle. It's it's the hardest thing. I've done a lot of really hard things in my life, but being married is the hardest of all. <laughs> But intimacy with another person, you know, on a daily basis through the years really teaches you a lot about yourself. Uh, someone I was reading once referred to, uh, to marriage as a soul-growing machine.
0: <laughs> okay. I've heard it described other ways. <laughs> so, um, you know, when I started having kids, that's when I realized how narcissistic I really was. Um, how so? Well... I mean everything was about me prior to having kids and then when I had kids uh-huh. it wasn't about me anymore um, right but I didn't really see that until I started having children
1: yeah, and having I think children is a huge paradigm shift in uh, in one's reality it's uh, everything that you thought was really important and cool and had a high priority in your life all of a sudden you have children and it just all disappears right and evaporates and you kind of have a, a you experience so many things differently when you have children and especially the feeling of love. Like I always thought, you know, I love my wife. I love my parents, love some friends. But then that kind of love that you get when you have kids, it's like on a whole other level. It redefines the word love. It redefines the entire experience of love.
0: Yeah, it would be my first, I guess, legitimate dose of unconditional love. Sort of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's an old Hebrew word, agape. Mm-hmm. It's Hebrew, might be Aramaic. Anyway, that word. You pronounce it. Almost like it's Mexican. Like uh, I'd like an agape with guacamole. Um, Big Don, John, and Super Don, Coulter, Vinegar, Mister Eyes, Twigs, and Lunal, who may or may not still be alive. All dead. They're
1: all dead. Yeah, those are fish you were describing. My son's fish. They die. They die routinely. Fish just die. You know, we had one that lasted like three years, but that's about it.
0: Still have the horses and the miniature and the pit bulls.
1: Like chock-a-block with animals over here. Yes. And a zonkey. Don't forget the zonkey.
0: I don't know what the zonkey is.
1: Well, picture female donkey inseminated with the spermatozoa of, uh, of a zebra, and it makes a little wonderful little baby. And that's what we have, a uh, named Derek, a zonkey named Derek. I like that. Named after Ricky's character? Um, I, hadn't, I hadn't put that together before, but um, that makes total sense.
0: 202 episodes of that other show, uh, mockumentary, single camera, no laugh track. You know what I was thinking about was the first time I people were telling me about it. Oh, dude, you've got to watch this. You'll love it. You'll love it. And I watched it, and I couldn't. There was something. I couldn't do it. And I still have, honestly, I'm sorry to, I mean, I'm not actually a creeper. I, I just, I haven't watched much of the show. But it, I still think it's really interesting, the dynamic between older people watching it, having a reaction of The Office, watching The Office. And younger people loving it. And they get that awkwardness. They want that. And they want to kind of look at the camera with no words and go, really? You know, that that kind of thing. But that's, I mean, the UK has grown up on that type of humor. So that's been around a while. Yeah, it's an interesting thing that's always fascinated me
1: and everyone involved in the office. Like, we made a real kind of subtle, kind of dark and disturbing workplace comedy. You can get very silly at times, but it's a little more challenging than your average sitcom. And our biggest fans are teenagers. I mean, kids start watching when they're 11 or 12, and um, they grow up watching an office. I run into people all the time that still, to this day, it's been off the air for two years, they watch an office episode every single day. But that's always people in their teens and in their 20s. It really, um, Even though it's about a workplace comedy, and I've even run into fans that have said, yeah, I want to get a job in an office because I love the office so much. I want to be in an environment like that. If they only knew how soul-crushing uh, <laughs> that can be. But, uh, yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's definitely uh, – there's a line there somewhere generationally.
0: Anton Chekhov, Ricky Gervais. Which which one needs more medication, do you think? Anton Chekhov
1: because he died of tuberculosis.
0: Oh, yeah, good call. Yeah. So yeah. – Yeah. No, those two guys, there's something, uh, you know, other in them.
1: Yeah, I think Ricky uh, definitely took the mantle of Chekhov. I think the characters are both absurd and heartbreaking at the same time. And if you can walk that balance, really those are the only kind of characters I'm interested in playing and the only kind of worlds I really like inhabiting as an actor. If it's just straight comedy without any kind of human reality and emotion in it then i'm not interested and if it's all just hyper serious yeah. um that's that's not really truthful either
0: rain did your wife ever tell you just to leave dwight at the office <laughs>
1: i had no problem just leaving him at the office okay. i mean i definitely have aspects of me that are like dwight uh our senses of humor are very much aligned but um i didn't have a hard time uh leaving him behind when i came
0: home happy to uh, from London Assurance to The Rocker and this constant need for approval and to be liked, no wonder you're Baha'i. <laughs> How? I
1: don't get that connection.
0: Well, Baha'i, as far as uh, I have come to understand, is kind of the most kumbaya gang in the world, is it not? You guys look at all world religions yeah. and you give them a thumbs up. So it's a great place for someone who's, af- who's afraid of rejection to land.
1: Okay, I see. I think you're stretching it a little bit. It's also <laughs> <You think? laughs> to to be an avowed member of a religious faith is a kind of a more rare thing these days, especially right. in big cities, which are more secular, especially in New York and Los Angeles or Toronto. Um, and to say like I am a member of this faith, whatever it is—Episcopalian or or Methodist or Buddhist. I'm a card-carrying. I belong to this thing and believe in this thing. It's very kind of rare. Um, you find it a little more out in the country, right? But um, so for me to be an avowed Baha'i member of this weird-sounding uh, religion, you know, in LA, it doesn't really uh, people more. It gets them a lot more raised eyebrows uh, than it does, you know, people embracing me
0: for it. You and Ricky ever go toe to toe?
1: We haven't. No, we haven't. I'm not interested in going toe-to-toe with atheists. It's a no-win. There's no way I can prove to anyone that there's a creator. There's no way that they can prove to me there's not, and it's just a bunch of hot air. So I just think that people of faith and people who don't have a religious faith can unite in certain belief systems that they are in accord with, Mm-hmm. Such as making the world a better place, being of service to others, leaving the world better than when you arrived, um, and doing all you can to make the most of your life. Those are things that people on both sides of the line can get behind, and that's what we should focus on.
0: Well, you grew up in it, but uh, from what I've understood, you went through the whole, I don't believe what my parents believe thing for about 10 years?
1: Yeah, I, I was in active rebellion uh, against the faith I grew up in. Um, dallied with atheism. I I wanted to be a bohemian. I moved to New York City to study acting when I was 20 years old and um, I just didn't want, I didn't want morality. I didn't want, um, you know, any kind of right or wrong to be on my head or to be over me like, oh, I can't drink alcohol or have premarital sex or this or that. I wanted to just be free to just completely explore uh, life and, um, Rejected my parents' faith, which I'd grown up in, the Baha'i faith, like you mentioned. And, um, but then, you know, after several years of that, and I was living my bohemian lifestyle, and I was a working actor, and I wasn't getting paid a whole lot, but I was working steadily on some good productions and um, pretty much making a living, I was unhappy. And that was a very odd. Because that's what I wanted more than anything else I'm going to move to New York City I want to be an actor I want to be a bohemian I want to express myself without any limitations And uh, I met my my wonderful wife, Holiday Reinhorn And I was in love And and I had everything that I'd always wanted And yet I was deeply unhappy in the core
0: of my being But did did you hit a bottom or a crossroads Or did you have a come-to-Jesus, I mean, Baha'i moment? (laughs) That's what it was It was a come-to-Baha'i moment I mean...
1: It wasn't like a hitting hard bottom. Um, I definitely abused drugs and alcohol and sex way too much, um, and those did not bring me any serenity or peace in my life. Um, but it more was just kind of like feeling lost and feeling like, "What is my purpose? What is is there meaning beyond just doing playing characters and doing plays?" Mm and why are we here? And what am I doing with my life? And and that's kind of what brought me back to going on a quest to find God. I really wanted to explore this idea, you know, is there a creator? I mean, I, I wanted to get back to that essential question. I mean, we still on soul pancake, it's all about exploring life's big questions, chewing on life's big questions. But that was the first big one that I wrestled with was trying to decide for myself, like, because there either is a creator or there's not. There's not kind of a vague middle ground that a lot of people live their lives in, kind of semi-believing in some kind of creative force out there. There either is a God creator, and if there is a God creator, then this God creator has, has a plan for us. It's not just kind of create us in, like, and like ants in an anthill and just let us go. Um, and if there's not a God, then it's all a random assortment of molecules, and there's not really any meaning or purpose to it other than what you create. So it's kind of got to be one or the other. So I went on that quest.
0: Yeah, you know, I've been uh, doing the Jesus thing for 30-plus years. I'm a former pastor, and uh, about six years ago, I stepped back and and uh, admitted on air that I'm no longer convinced that there's a God. I'm not an atheist, but I, I, uh, I just had to strip away all the tribal conditioning I had had to get Mm -hmm. back to that exact same question you're talking about and make sure that I can just, I wanted to make sure I could hook into that question without again, that tribal conditioning. So I just stripped away everything and left everything and, Mm. and oddly enough still do this show. So And that's,
1: um, that is, um, I think that's an important journey for everyone to do to like used to tribal conditioning. That's a great phrase. I'm going to steal that. Um, I would call it, uh, there's a teaching in the Baha'i faith, uh, called the individual investigation of truth. So it is the obligation of every person to find the truth for themselves, mm. uh, to not inherit their parents' truth or their pastor's truth, their neighbor's truth, the school's truth, the society's truth. You know, there's a lot of things that are, we're inundated with in our, in our culture and told to be true by you know, American and Canadian culture, North American culture, that um, is just not true and it comes at us all the time, like materialism, like you'll be happy if you have more things. And once you get that extra thing, then you'll find contentment and you'll gain status and therefore peace in the world by gaining uh, material things and being on a higher level and gaining power from them. And that stuff is just absolutely not true. It's proven to not be true. Um, So, Cool. Everyone needs to go on this quest. Everyone needs to go on, their, on this search. and I think um, you know I think' it's, it's brave to go from pastor to agnostic is what you're describing. And hopefully in this journey that you're taking, you can find um, you know what that definition of God is because a, it's a tough one. It's so loaded, you know, like the, yeah. the Sistine Chapel to the God of the fundamentalist religions to, to Allah. Who supposedly okays people blowing up children um you know it's it's a very loaded word
0: yeah yeah um i'm trying to remember the producer of all the um um jim carrey flicks who had the bike accident and then gave stuff away and lives in a mobile home
1: yeah Uh, Uh, his movie's called i am yeah um, I'm blanking on his name right now too. Todd, um, not Todd Phillips. That's no, a different guy. No. Um, anyway. Yeah. He did Bruce Almighty and yeah. Liar, liar.
0: So uh, probably in 12 years, one of the best interviews I've had, uh, he and I just kind of tore things apart and it was great. I mean, he's a, he's an interesting cat, you know?
1: Yeah. I've heard a lot about him. I, I haven't seen the movie, but I would really like to see it and, and uh, talk to him about
0: his journey. Uh, I'm friends with Candace Cameron Bure, Kirk's sister. And uh, boy, did she, she get scrutinized by both her own peeps as well as those who, who seem to just want to say, hey, I thought you were a Christian. You can't do that. Do you guys, you guys, do you guys have that problem? Do people look at you and go, whoa, 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 you're Baha'i. You, you can't, you can't do that.
1: Well, n- no, not so much. Uh, Baha'is are much more easygoing about that stuff Um, you know, there's raunchy Baha'i comedians and, (laughs) um...
0: So you're more uh, like Jews?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think, I think a little more, yeah, like Jaha'is, but but Jews, I don't know. But, uh, no, but, you know, definitely some Baha'is have, there's been a little bit of blowback if I do a, you know, I did a a sketch with Dennis Hopper where I was dressed as a transvestite doing cocaine and, um... (laughs) turning tricks in, in Venice and uh, a very funny comedy sketch we did for the independent spirit awards. And, you know, there was a, I saw some things online like people like, Hey, he's a Baha'i. You can't do that. Oh, uh, you know, there's a little bit of that, but, um, uh, I don't think it's that I, but I try to be, I try sometimes fail, but try to be a, a, a good person and uphold the ideals of my faith. Um, and I make a lot of mistakes along the way.
0: What do you guys have to do before you die? I was just at a chaplain's weird question, but I was just at a chaplaincy meeting with a bunch of hospital chaplains and I was trying to get them to to face the reality that not everybody that comes through the hospital is a white Jesus loving redneck. Where mm-hmm. I where I live anyway. Uh mm-hmm. and so you have rednecks in Canada? The, the, yes. Yeah. There's not
1: enough sun for them to get a red neck. It'd be like an ice neck.
0: It is. It's frostbite neck is what it is. It is. Yeah. Perfect. Um and I, I just, I had no, I, do you guys have stuff you got to do before you die?
1: No, there's there's not really anything like that in the Baha'i faith. Uh, Baha'is are encouraged to go on a pilgrimage to the Baha'i holy sh- shrines and sites in Israel. Um, but it's not like you have to do that before you die.
0: You don't have to um, go to Iran? No.
1: Um, that's part of what a Baha'i pilgrimage would entail, is going to the Baha'i holy sh- shrines um, in Iran, But they've all been bulldozed by the Muslim authorities, and Iran would never let Baha'i tourists or pilgrims into its country. Iran hates Baha'is and routinely arrests them for no reason, accuses them of being spies for Israel or the U.S. or Russia or whatever country. And um, so that would be tricky. But, you know, what what do you have to do before you—well, Baha'is believe, and I think people of a lot of different faiths believe that— you're going to meet your maker when you die and you're going to be accountable for your life. So what is that conversation going to be like if you're sitting in front of the creator or Jesus or Muhammad or the Buddha or uh, in the Baha'is case, Baha'u'llah or, or God himself? Um, I don't know exactly how it works, but to have that conversation and say your life is unfolded in front of you like a tapestry hmm. and here's all the choices that you made along the way. And here's all the good you did for people and for others. And here's your selfless acts of service that you did. And here's all the F-ups that you made along the way and where you were a selfish, jerk, a-hole pig. And (laughs) you have to have that conversation. So uh, that's kind of scary. Um, Baha'is don't believe in a hell. So we don't believe that you're going to go burn in some fiery pit for eternity if you have, quote unquote, sinned but you are accountable for the actions that you make in this life. So is so, there
0: is there punishment after life? Because if there's no hell, then, then why would you need to suck up before you die?
1: Um, punishment is a strong word. I think that Baha'is view it as we're on a spiritual odyssey in, in this plane, in our material plane, and we're trying to grow our souls, right? The way you grow, grow your souls uh, in the Baha'i idea is to... Um, is through reflecting the qualities of God, uh, being kind, being compassionate, being honest, being humble. Um, that it's developing those qualities. Those are the qualities you're going to take with you in the next world. So if you're, um, uh, if you're just an a-hole, uh, on planet earth in your 80 years, then you just haven't developed those qualities that you'll need in the next world. So you'll be limited in the next world. Is that a punishment not really a punishment. It's, um, but it's definitely uh, a liability.
0: But it's not reincarnation, and it's not a caste system. There's no caste system. There's
1: no reincarnation. We are all children of God, loved equally. Baha'i, not Baha'i, atheist. It doesn't matter. We have our. Everyone has their own row to hoe, so to speak, and our our struggles, um, you know, tests and difficulties are a part of this life. Pain is a part of this life, as the past just asked the Buddha. And um, then we go into another plane of, of existence after this one. In the same way that we were in the womb and we developed our physical fingernails and arms and legs, stuff that we need for this world, in this world we're developing our spiritual arms and legs and fingernails for the next world.
0: Okay, so um, equality of men and women, elimination of uh, racial prejudice, equality of science and religion, but someone mentioned to me. I was just in Bermuda, and we were talking about this. And someone said to me, "Yeah, but they're not too keen on the gays or the gay marriage." That's a that's a that's a black mark there.
1: I knew that was going to come up. That's a very hot button issue, and it's it's um, it's a shame, really, because it's it's so it's such a black and white issue. Like, you know, my son's godfather is gay. Um, so many dear friends that I work with on a daily basis are. Uh, are, are gay but it really is this kind of thing of like it's black and white you're either pro-gay or, or anti-gay and in the Baha'i faith um you know the founder of the Baha'i faith uh, teaching back in the last century taught that the um uh, the healthiest expression of sexuality is between a married man and a married woman and Baha'is are not anti-gay at all all are welcome but um the uh that's that's what bahais that's what bahais believe but we would never judge anyone who made any choices in their life or had not even choices or were born gay or acted um in a different way than that we would never judge them or ostracize them or right
0: but they couldn't become a bahai they could but they'd have to leave the gay stuff
1: no you could become a bahai and um you, that's going to be your it's going to be an issue, you know, it's going to be an issue, but you're not kicked out of the Baha'i faith for being a gay Baha'i,
0: right. no, right.
1: a lot of gay Baha'is, it's a struggle because the teachings are definitely towards uh, heterosexual monogamy.
0: Right, 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 right. So. Um,
1: but, you yeah. know, like I said, there's no sin, not really the same concept of sin as there is in Christianity and in and hell, so it's not like they are these judged or they're going to burn in hell and there's... It's so bad. It, it's like we, we all have our struggles and our issues in our yeah. life. And um, that's really what
0: it's about. Do you guys get, I, sorry, I keep saying you guys. Do you guys, you guys. do you uh, do you get to ask for healing and stuff too? Like, um, have you ever prayed for your snoring to be healed or has your wife <laughs> prayed for? She prayed for my snoring to be healed. And I got
1: this mouth guard that I sleep with and it moves my jaw forward. It's really pretty miraculous, Drew, and uh, creates an open space, and it stopped my snoring, and I actually sleep way better. So pray, and you take action. It's like the Muslims say, pray to God, but tie up your camels. Um, But yeah, you pray for healing. Uh, Prayer is a powerful instrument uh, in the Baha'i faith, um, connecting with God, um, beseeching the Creator, Um, and praying for healing is, I've been praying for healing because my son's had a fever for over a week and, and, um, he's really feeling pretty crappy. So that sucks. That's horrible.
0: Wow. Man, uh, as a dad, I, you know, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. Are you, um, Are you the most famous uh, Baha'i? Are you, like, top celebrity?
1: A lot of famous Baha'is. Dizzy Gillespie was a Hmm. Baha'i. Carol Lombard, the actor, was a Baha'i. Queen Marie of Romania was a Baha'i. There's little-known facts, fun facts about (laughs) Baha'is. In the the 70s, there was a big pop band called... Seals and and Crofts. Yeah. Yeah. Seals and Crofts were Baha'is. And uh, England Dan and John Ford Coley. And... uh, But yeah, I think right now, I mean, there's a lot of very well-known Baha'i artists and public figures. Uh, There's some other actors, uh, Andy Grammer, the singer, pop singer, songwriter is a Baha'i. Yeah, but I'm I'm pretty well known for that, kind of a which is which kind of scary because it's like uh, if I mess up in some way, it's like it could reflect bad on the religion. So
0: yeah, how do you think Gary Busey feels? Yeah, what what is he? What is his fate? He's a Jesus guy. He, is he really? Oh wow! Yeah. I was either going to be Gary Busey or Kirk Cameron, one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, sorry, Candice. Sorry. Um. So New Trier High School in Chicago. Uh. But you also played Paul Blart, Bahai Temple Cop. Yes.
1: Nice. Nice. Good setup. I was my my parents weren't and worked at the Bahai National Center in Evanston, Illinois, right by the Bahai Temple there in Chicago on Sheridan drive right by the lake, beautiful temple. If you get a chance to check it out. And um, we lived a couple blocks away and pulled some strings and got a minimum wage job as a, when I was an 18 year old pimply skinny security guard at the Baha'i temple (laughs) for a summer. I think I saved a whopping like 940 bucks or something working all summer long, but it was not bad strolling around the gardens and making sure kids didn't skateboard around the temple.
0: I, too, was a mall cop. I was a mall cop. You were? I was, yeah. All right.
1: So when this radio thing uh, yeah. goes away, as it's certain to do... It's certain to do. Uh, You've you got another career to fall back on.
0: Um, is it harder to lean into your spiritual disciplines now that you're successful and have money in the bank, as opposed to before when you were broke and waking up each morning and connecting with your breath and maybe reading Tentacles of Dawn? <laughs>
1: You're so well-researched. I love it. Tentacles of Dawn being my dad's one published science fiction book.
0: Um, ah,
1: That's a tough one. Let me see. Um,
0: Because I I, contrast it to the Jesus scene where I see a lot of, um, especially in the happy, clappy, prosperity, doctrine, Pentecostal scene, where they're selling hope, you know, and you can only sell hope. If you're rich yourself, so you have to be a rich pastor, which is an oxymoron in my brain, and then you sell it to poor people who then continually lean into their faith, into their spiritual disciplines, because they're broke, and the, tomorrow may not be a good day.
1: Yeah, I um, I don't understand that whole prosperity thing. I really don't. Um, I mean, I think everything that Jesus taught was about... Um, detachment from the material things of the world and service to the poor. Um, and uh, it's a shame that so much of Christianity has taken on the mantle of a hey, uh, faith and donating to my church can make you rich if you just believe hard enough. Uh, I think it goes against everything Jesus taught if you really look at it as his lessons. Um, it's a different kind of prosperity Jesus brought, a spiritual prosperity. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I really struggled, you know, when I became uh, a celebrity from the office and doing a bunch of movies and stuff, I definitely my ego uh, got in the way a lot, and um, I was uh, I was a jerk uh, way too much of the time. Not all the time. I mean, it's not like a cliche, like, oh, all of a sudden I became this total a-hole when I got rich and famous. Um, and by the way, I'm not that famous. I'm a minor TV celebrity, just for the record. But... You know, that was some, there was some rough times um, in there and, uh, you know, struggles from my wife and family. and But uh, we moved through it, and uh, I feel really connected these days. And uh, I make time for prayer and meditation every day and reading the holy writings. And uh, Baha'is, of course, read the holy writings of all the different religious faiths. But I, I, I make that a daily practice, and uh, it uh, brings me a lot of peace uh, in my life.
0: But isn't, and it, isn't a Baha'i actor... Similar to a workaholic Buddhist isn't that just weird?
1: <laughs> not at all and co- quite the contrary Baha'is believe that making art is the same as prayer right. so artists are very uh, revered and encouraged in the Baha'i faith uh, that making works of beauty that are entertaining that uplift people um, is is the same as praying it's the same as uh, as being having devotion so I really view that as my work. Now, not, you know, not everything that I've done has been <laughs> a work of prayer. A lot of it, you know, I don't know that my work in House of a Thousand Corpses is is, <laughs> uh, is, is a prayer. But, you know, I try and have my work be some positive and thought provoking and make the world more interesting. And I try and put a lot of myself into it. So, um, you know, one of my favorite things about doing the office was the people that I would run into that would say, um, oh, you know, my my sister was dying of cancer but we would watch The Office together and laugh or my family was falling apart and we would watch The Office together it would bring us together or my parents were getting a divorce but the only solace I had was watching The Office like being a part of that was was really super cool and really super spiritual
0: well, uh, there's a lot of stuff online about you and this spiritual stuff that you're into, um, and the Soul Pancake thing is definitely part of this whole journey of yours. Soul Pancake, the book, Soul Pancake, the app, Soul Pancake, the .com, Soul Pancake, the YouTube channel, Soul Pancake, the media company. Yeah. What's next?
1: What's next? Oh goodness gracious! Um, I don't know. I'm waiting to see right now if my TV show Backstrom gets picked up for a second season or not. Probably find out in a week. It's looking unlikely, but it's still possible that it gets picked up for a second season. Uh, it didn't get very good uh, ratings. But um, uh, it's a terrific show. I hope to do that again. Uh, I have a book coming out in November. It's called The Bassoon King. Because I used to be a nerdy bassoonist, bassoonist, and uh, my life in art, faith, and idiocy, it's called. And uh, we're
0: finishing up that book, promoting it. What's the cover? Yeah. What's the cover of the book? Me and a
1: bassoon, me oh. dead and looking down the barrel of the lens of the big, ridiculous bassoon uh, <laughs> at my side, the bassoon king. Uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, it's a lot of funny stories, but a little bit about this stuff that we've been talking about, my spiritual journey and stuff like that, which is important to me. So um, there's enough comedy in there for to to entertain people.
0: Well, I can't believe Backstrom uh, won't be picked up for a second season now that William Shatner is a big fan of it. Yeah, he's
1: been a big fan and supporting the show. That's been awesome.
0: (laughs) He's kind of, your character is kind of like, what, a Columbo meets house kind of thing? Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. A completely self-destructive, alcoholic,
1: cynical, self-hating Columbo. So brilliant at solving crimes, but his own worst enemy and his kind of life is falling apart in front of your eyes over the course of this first season. So it's a really fun and... Juicy character to sink your teeth into. Uh, I really have enjoyed playing him, and it's a great ensemble, too. Really great.
0: Well, look, um, i got to be honest. At the end of this interview, I, I need to say I, I, I'm a fan of yours simply because of this. Uh, I perked up when I heard the Baha'i stuff. Uh, I I haven't followed your career. I didn't watch The Office. <laughs> this is a sucky way to interview. You're the, the interview. worst. Yeah, You're yeah. the worst. Uh, but I, I, I then I think I saw a couple of interviews and then the Soul Pancake thing and yeah, I just really appreciate you spending some time with us, man. And I know you've got a bowl of great big bowl of hummus waiting for you. So
1: I eat my weight in hummus every day. You know that, Drew?
0: Yes, I do. That's yes, 210
1: do. pounds of hummus. That's a lot of hummus.
0: That's some sexy hummus right there. We got 47 yeah. more pounds for lunch. <laughs> uh,
1: it's a pleasure speaking to you. I, I love speaking about. Both the acting comedy world and the spiritual world, and uh, I'm glad that you're into that on your show as well.
0: Yeah, well, we are. We try to we try to rip it apart and, and have a bit of fun. You know, it's funny. I was in Bermuda last weekend. I, I came across this guy. I saw a documentary, and it might have I might have seen it on Soul Pancake, maybe. Okay. Uh, about a 91 year old black man named Johnny Barnes who has stood at the corner of a roundabout from 5.30 in the morning to 9.30 in the morning and blowing kisses and waved and said, I love you as everybody drove into work. He's done this for years. Where did he do it? Uh, just outside of Hamilton. There's a roundabout just before you go into uh, into Hamilton, Bermuda. So I sat down. I, that's all I wanted to do. I uh, Just sit down and, ta- and chat with this guy. For two hours, we talked. What a great conversation. Oh,
1: that's fantastic. Yeah, we well, so talked talk about making the world a better place. I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to go down to the Calabasas Market I'm going to blow kisses out of the Kardashians and the Bieber. <laughs> You've inspired me, Drew. Thank you.
0: There you go. Rain Wilson on the Drew Marshall Show. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks.
1: Bye, Drew. Thanks a lot.
0: Folks, I want to tell you about the Drew Marshall Show 1250 special. You ready for this? For 1250, that's right, only $12.50. We'll mention your organization's name, website, and a brief description. Did you catch that? During each show, we'll read out your organization's name, website, and a brief description for only $12.50. Now, obviously, there's no point in doing that only once during a four-hour show, so we'll read your advertisement four times per show for an entire month, and each time we do it, it'll only cost you twelve fifty. It's kind of like putting an advertisement up on every church bulletin in the GTA, except you don't have to get permission from that grumpy old lady at the front desk. Now look, because there are limited spots available for our 1250 special, why don't you call us right now, toll free on 877-JOY-1250. Now sure, we're right in the middle of things here in the show, but if you call us right now, toll free on 877-JOY-1250, we'll take your name and number and call you back on Monday to sign up for the Drew Marshall Show 1250 special. This is nuts. Are you sure we want to do this? How am I supposed to make any money?